Good morning, New Life Manitou Springs. How are we this morning? Good, good. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors with New Life. Uh, I have some good news for you this morning. It's going to be in the 70s this week. Woohoo, right? Right? I need, this is the time of year when I'm just like, dying from the heat, and I'm ready. The dog days of summer is what they call it, I guess. I'm ready for um, pumpkin spice to come and bring gospel to my, uh, to my nose. Yes, pumpkin spice. <laughs> if we can get around one thing today, it's pumpkin spice. Um, well, as uh, I, we are, um, I don't think Joe said it uh, Right now, I think he said it in an earlier meeting, but we're actually finishing up a series today. It's uh, we've all uh, summer we've been talking about what is the church is what we've been exploring. Um, and before that, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And before that, we were talking about the Son. And before that, we were talking about the Father. So uh, all of that means we're in church today. We're finishing up. What does it mean for us to be the church? And I'll just put it before you. Uh, before this is what I'm wanting to say. This morning, um, I want to say, oh, you can go to the next uh, slide. The church is a community that is uh, trusting that the crucified one lives as Lord. That is what distinguishes the church from anything else in the world, is we uh, believe that the crucified one is actually the one who lives and reigns over the entire universe. That's a mind-boggling claim, but that's what uh, the church has been saying for 2,000 years. Um, And I want to um, read a familiar passage to most of us. It's the end of what we call the gospel according to Matthew. Um, It's commonly called the Great Commission. So I invite you to stand right now. Let's go ahead and read it together. Um, It's Matthew 28 starting in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went out, or they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshiped, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus, I love that Jesus isn't bothered at all by their doubt. That always just gives me such encouragement after he's back from the dead and some are doubting. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. Can you guys say all authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Uh, You guys can be seated. When I hear this passage, when I hear this passage, I hear a train whistle in the back of my ears, like echoing, because this was one of, I grew up going to church um, in the Southern Baptist tradition, actually, uh, in the South, in Georgia. Um, I grew up, and I heard a lot a lot about, um, well, Left Behind was published when I was 11 years old, 
and I heard a whole lot about Gabriel's horn, and there's a day coming when uh, Christians around the world are going to be disappearing everywhere, and then the world's pretty much going to be like a zombie apocalypse for the, like, the next seven years or so, or, or you know, some sort of Christian version of the, of the zombie apocalypse. Um, and uh, that was the primary lens that I had growing up of what the church is. We are the community of people getting people ready to avoid the zombie apocalypse is kind of what, what I felt like. And so I remember hearing this passage so many times about our call to go and make, and it is important. We're going to talk about making disciples in just a second. But I remember it uh, in terms of that train whistle that I would hear at night Laying in bed, seven or eight years old, I was, you know, laying in bed at night, and I'd hear it in the distance. And then, you got, we don't have to have a show of hands, but how many people have had the experience of like, okay, now I'm going to creep out of my bed, and I'm going to go around the house, and I'm going to make sure that other people are still in the house? This was my experience as like a seven or eight year, wanting to make sure that I wasn't the, uh, well, I guess it was when I was 11, I was being informed by Left Behind, but... Uh, that's my experience of being shaped by, like, fear is at bottom of this. A fear that um, if I am not making, if I am not making disciples, and if I am not becoming a disciple, that somehow I'm going to be missing out on the good, and I'm going to be uh, stuck in a zombie apocalypse for a little while. If I had a mic, this is really what we're talking about when we're talking about what the church is, is we are talking about our conception of what God is like and what God is doing in the world. If, and if I were to explain what I thought about God as a 10-year-old, let's average it out and say a 10-year-old, I would say that the base coat, if, the, if my conception of God was a Bob Ross painting for a second, you guys know Bob Ross, right? If it was a Bob Ross painting, it had a base coat of paint on it, like that God is pretty ticked off at the world for just being so sinful all the time. And uh, there might be moments in the sermons where you have a happy little tree right here, happy little cloud right here, like happy little God loves you right here. But it is all being painted on a base coat, a foundation of God is ticked off. Um, You know, you might get the happiness thrown in, but the the canvas was pretty bleak. Um, The base coat was God against the world. I hear this passage, the Great Commission is what we call it, and a train whistle echoes in my ear uh, and kind of makes me a little fearful of like, am I doing this enough? Am am I making... Are we getting enough people ready for what is coming? And today, what I really want to do just for a handful of minutes, is I want to talk about, um, I want to address us on the level of our imaginations. And this is a difficult thing to do. And so I'm going to, we're going to pray here and center ourselves. And we're right on time with sermon, so don't worry about anything there. But what I want us to do is I want us to um, take a deep breath It's very easy for this moment of preaching to become like performance, and this is the thing that we always do. But look, I can come off the stage, and I can come around. I could pick out any one of you, and like, but I'm not going to. But like, this is this is a real moment. My point is, we're not at a 
concert. This is not a movie that we're watching. We're just the community gathered right here. It is very easy for us to gather and to show up and to think, okay, what kind of entertain, entertaining, insightful thing is preacher, pastor, speaker, talker, whoever going to do? And what I would like for us to do is pray right now that we would have open hands like with our deepest selves, that we would allow God to shape our imaginations about the kind of world we live in, about what God is like, and therefore about what the church is, what we are in summary of this whole series. And so, Holy Spirit, we can't do, we're, we're not interested in clever words. We're interested in uh, the life, the spirit, the, the, your very own energy, God, that raised Jesus from the dead. We are interested in that raising us from the dead. And so um, right now we ask that you would come and flood our imaginations, that we would be able to conceive of the world differently, perhaps, than we did when we came in. We give you space to do that. And if, even if we don't know how to do that, we say we want to know how to do that. And so come and change us this morning, we ask. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen. Uh, some, of, some of us might get spooked out by the word imagination, make, make it sound like, oh, we're just making things up here. We're just believing pie in the sky kind of things about God. But that's, um, that is far from what I'm talking about. Uh, when, when I say imagination, I guess I just mean what we do every single day, every moment of the day, is we conceive of the world in a particular way. Right now, you are experiencing this with your five senses. Uh, some of you are... Uh, yeah, I've, I've got eye contact with most of you. You can see and you can smell and you can... But you remember actually what happened before this moment, don't you? You remember some of it, at least. We don't, none of us remember all of our past, but we remember some of it. And we, that is our imagination engaged. <laughs> We're remembering. And then we are anticipating what could come like this week or later today or, or maybe later this year, things are weighing on us. That is our imagination too. Like, how did we get here to this present moment? Imagination. How, where are we going? Imagination. <laughs> like almost everything we're doing is engaging our imagination. In fact, we can't not engage our imagination. Watch, I'll give you an example really quickly. Um, two, actually. Aren't you lucky? Um, I will give you, let's say, the word um, golden ring thrown into a volcano. Suddenly, and people I see the lights like coming on. They're like, yes, Lord of the Rings. Yes, that's the moment of, yes. There was, uh, or for those of you who might not know Lord of the Rings, but you should, at least by the films. Come on, guys. Um, there is another movie phenomenon around the world that is uh, got a, um, it's someone snapping their fingers with a golden glove on. 
And this is, of course, uh, the, the Avengers of Infinity War, I do believe, is when it happens. This, if you don't know, there's this bad guy, and he's gathering up all these different like magical infinity stones, and he's putting them all into a glove. And once he's got all of this in this golden glove, he can snap and he can bend the universe to his will. He can, he has all power in the universe. And... Um, just like if you've seen Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a story about a ring that somehow has all of the power of human ambition, perhaps, and, or prideful ambition at all, um, in a ring. And they're like, it corrupts everybody, and they eventually have to throw it into a volcano um, at the end. But the way that I explained Marvel and the way that I explained Lord of the Rings for those images, we need an explanation like that about the Great Commission. We need more story than the Great Commission because we, a lot of times, we project whatever we think uh, whatever, we got some idea about what God, the Bible's saying, and we project train whistle, we project all kinds of spooky theories about what's coming in the future. We project this onto the text. And so what I want to do right now for just a couple of minutes is I want to give you the story of what Jesus is talking about with the Great Commission. And then that's going to lead us uh, right to the table. And so the backstory of the Great Commission, all power in the universe, all authority has been given to me, is what Jesus says. The backstory of the, well, you could read the gospel according to Matthew. It's the end of that story, but it's actually tapping in to, um, it's this section of the scroll of Daniel is actually what it is. The scroll of Daniel, and uh, there's gonna be a couple of passages on the screen, but I'm gonna paraphrase a lot of this. This is Daniel 7, if you are curious and we want to actually know where things are in the Bible. Um, Daniel chapter 7, um, it is the story of um, kaiju in the Bible. It's these giant monsters coming out of the sea. It's Godzilla. I can't do Godzilla. But does anyone do a good Godzilla in the, somebody in a room this size, somebody does a Godzilla. Nobody? Oh man, gosh. Somebody's going to be brave and do it like 10 minutes from now and we're all going to be like, whoa. Um, it is this, Daniel 7 is the backstory, what you need to know about the Great Commission. It is this, it's a Godzilla movie. It's a Godzilla dream is what's happening. Giant monsters, waterfalls of water coming off of them are uh, coming out of the sea is what's happening in Daniel 7. And then three of them erupt and then a fourth one erupts out of the sea in uh, round verse 7. And it's like crazy powerful. It's got iron teeth and it's eating the world. I'm not making this up. It's got like eating it and whatever it doesn't eat, it's trampling behind it is what the nightmare is. This is a, a dream recorded for us. It is a scary monster that is being described here. It's, it's, it really is kind of one of those things from like a dream that you freak out when you're like, oh my gosh, that was really disturbing because it is a mutant kind of creature right out of Stranger Things is the kind of thing it is that's got body parts that ought not have faces on it. 
that are like laughing and talking and like boasting. And if you're weirded out by what I'm saying, that's the point. That's the point of this dream. It's got all these monsters, kaiju, Godzillas, marching around the world in deformities, and they're trampling, and thankfully, we actually don't have to guess about what they mean. The chapter tells us it's talking about these giant nations. The nation's rage is the way that Psalm 2 puts it. There are these nations that are raging like beasts, like monsters, and destroying the world in the process. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody? Nations out of control, stomping each other, putting each other down with violence. And then this is the way that it... um, that it kind of climaxes. I looked then, because um, one of these body parts is talking, the sound of the great words that this horn was making. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. That's what happens to all nations that are living, using violence to keep themselves in power, is they're eventually overthrown in violence. If you didn't know, that's what happens in history. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 13, I saw in the nightmare, in the dream, in my night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, and there came one like a son of man. It's uh, it's literally the way that you just say human in Hebrew. It's just the one translation recent uh, translates it human one. So instead of giant kaiju monsters, you've got, not trick question, it's a human being is what you've got. And he came to the ancient of days, to God himself, and was presented before him, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to pay off the pop of this. The story that we have Jesus saying, coming to us and saying, what are you and what kind of story do you live in? Well, all authority has been given to me. He is, this is Jesus's favorite title for himself, son of man. He's he's saying, this is the story that we all live in. Monstrous things happen. There are nations raging and trampling, and there is a totally different kind of authority that comes onto the scene and appears. It's not beastly. It's not animalistic. It's not violent. It's not tooth for tooth or eye for eye. It is actually, it's not inhumane. The rule of everybody, it would seem in the world, is inhumane. And yet we find a human finally showing up. It's like Adam 
It's like Adam's showing up right here in Daniel and suddenly like ruling over the beasts. Like it's always been intended to happen. You're gonna rule over creation instead of allowing creation to rule over you. The expectation is that in the ashes of all these monstrous empires that we see even on the news today, in the ashes of these empires, another kingdom is arriving. It's a totally different kind of authority. The world is like dominated by inhumane things and this is suddenly a human reigning. And Jesus says, that's me. And this is a scandal, that's you. You're included in my reign. I want all authority. Jesus might as well end the gospel of Matthew by saying the ring of power belongs to me. The infinity gauntlet is what the Marvel glove is. The infinity gauntlet has been put on my hand. Someone actually has all the power in the universe. There, the, the world has a dictator and his name is Jesus. And the, the very fact that we feel uncomfortable with that sentence that I just said, like, oh, wait a second, a dictator? I don't know about that. That's the point. Jesus does not reign in the way that, we, that almost everybody else thinks to reign. I... I'll give you the verses in case you're curious, but it's Daniel 7, verse 21, verse 23, verse 25. We are told in Daniel 7 how the son of, how this new kingdom arrives. And you know how it arrives? Quote, well, he, the, uh, the monster wages war on the saints and quote, prevails over them. He tramples the earth and breaks the chosen ones to people. They are the holy ones, the saints, the good guys are worn out by the monster. Like the tread on your tires. It's like worn out. That is what Jesus That's how this story comes to its climax. That's the kind of power that Jesus, uh, that this this son of man receives. And uh, that's actually what Jesus embodies in his whole life. We think, uh, let's just speak 21st century here. We think that power is king. This is what we argue about every election year. I want my people in power because that will change things. Power is king. We think influence is king. (laughs) This is why we obsess over social media and how many people liked us and stuff. Like we want to influence people. We think the dollar is king. We think money is king. This is why we stress out about everything that we stress out about during the week. I don't don't want to put too fine of a dot on that. We just stress out over money. We think that pleasure is king. If we could just experience the right things. We, we think information is king. If we could just get the right information or give the right information to that person. But as we're finishing up our series today, I think I just want to say that the church, is, we are the people. We are called to be the people who have clear eyes about what is actually king, 
what actually changes the world. How the world actually gets changed, and it is crucified love that is king, is what Jesus is claiming right here. There's this strange movement within history. You are sitting in one of the chairs funded by this movement. There is a movement in history of a community that is not defined by the interests of a nation or the interests of an economy or a particular class of people or a particular race of people or any given gender. There is an intentional, persistent, cross-cultural movement devoted to recognizing the kingship of the crucified, It's the church. I want to say it this way. There are two paths is what we are given in scripture. It's the way of the beasts and the way of the human one. You can become more animalistic. You can become more aggressive to each other. You can try to tit for tat with that relative. You can, at work, you can play the power games of the structure. Or you can give your life away in love. And it might look like trampling and it might look like being eaten up by the situation. It like our culture conceives only of one thing that the person with the biggest stick wins. Like whether it's the biggest voice on the internet or whether it's the biggest military going up against some other military, but Power is king. Like Thanos, the guy with the golden glove. Thanos was right. If you could just get the power for yourself, then you could remake the world. But I just want to tell you that people are interested. They, people continue to want what Jesus continues to provide. He is continuing to provide for us. He is uh, continuing to give a life that is a complete alternative to striving and aggressive and I'm cutthroat and I've got to beat and I've got to win and I've got to dominate. I uh, often hear people kind of gloomily decry, pick your uh, major movie uh, studio, and they'll just shake their heads and say, the, the movies that they're making, oh, what a godless culture we live in. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Like the movies that we love as a culture are Jesus-like movies. Uh, just, just as a comment, like Avengers Endgame is so powerful because it has a Christological shape at its climax. Somebody, I'm not going to say who, but somebody takes on this glove and lays down their life. They don't think about themselves anymore, but they lay down their life for the good of other people to the point of death. Not thinking about me, thinking about the good of others. That is why people get excited about it. It reminds them of Jesus. We just need to name it for people. People want what Jesus continues to provide, and it is a life that's not about ourselves. Uh, What I want to say about the church, we could summarize it this way. The church is the strange international tribe. That's what we are, an international tribe devoted to trusting, celebrating, and embodying the costly love that got Jesus killed. We are 
an international tribe, is what I want to say. That is our call. We are a movement of people, and that we are called to, the Great Commission says, to make learners. Make disciples. That's all disciple means. We're to make learners, and we are to teach the nations. Learners and teachers. The question that I a lot of times want to ask about the Great Commission is, what are we converting the nations to? To what are we converting the nations? What are we trying to get them to do? And the answer is we're trying to get them to learn from the crucified one who lays down his life rather than take up violence against his enemies. We're invited to be the people who are trusting the Beatitudes. You're invited to trust. Blessed are the pure in heart. You're not going to be disappointed. You're going to see God. You're invited to believe that the meek really really will inherit the earth. You're invited to be a peacemaker and to trust that you are sharing Jesus' name when you do that. Son of God. That is what the, the, the Beatitudes say. And it's more than just like, I don't know, up here, it's in every one of our relationships. We're invited to say, I could try to trample. I could try to claw my way. I could try to fight. I could try to scratch and make something. But no, if there's a way for me to not ask about my rights, what is owed to me, if there is a way to give myself away in love to others, to my spouse, to my child, to my neighbor, even to my enemy. That's the, that's the truly revolutionary thing that Jesus said and did. That, if we do that, that is actually the life, the good life, the life of heaven invading us right now. I grew up, the train whistling in my ears. I grew up hearing about escaping from hell after we die. When The invitation is actually more about living in heaven before we die is really what the invitation is. It's not fear about what might happen if you don't. It is the deep invitation of like, you don't have to keep scrambling for power. You don't have to keep fighting to get your way. You don't have to keep reaching for the infinity stones and trying to build something that's finally gonna like, if you could just snap your fingers, everything in my life's gonna conform to how I want it to be. No. We can relax. You can take it a breath. We are, as a church, we are learners of love. We are trainees in truth. We are beginners in beauty. That's what we're learning. We are rookies in the really real. We are learning what real life is about. We are padwans of the passion. And that last one sounds corny, but I actually think it's the most serious one of all. If, the, if Christians were Jedi Knights... We, and we've got the little person, Jesus, and he's green with Yoda ears, I don't know, in his back, in our backpack. What is Jesus teaching us to do? It's the same darn thing that Jesus did. He's asking us to, he's training us. We are padwans of the passion. He's training us to lay down our lives, to let go 
for the sake of other people. That is the invitation. Like, I wish I had something more practical to give, but like I said, this is engaging imagination more than it is practice. The inner parts of your life, your soul that feel like a clenched fist, you're invited. What Jesus is offering us is that those could open up. They could relax. You could yield. You don't have to secure it. There is one with all authority. All authority. Jesus has the infinity gauntlet. He has the ring of power. And yet, what does Jesus do with these? He yields. He gives. He surrenders for the sake of love. And we're not just surrendering to the fact that Jesus has power. What we're surrendering to is the way that Jesus uses power. Jesus is always using his power for the sake of others. That is the base coat of the painting about God that we learn. There might be happy little judgment, happy little whatever, but the base coat is love. God is interested in you being alive. The infinity gauntlet is a hypothetically, it's a really good way if you're wanting to convert the universe to your will. The infinity gauntlet gets in your way when you're trying to wash feet. You can't do it. You can't, it's, you've got to take it off. To, I want you to uh, pretend like today, as we're approaching the table, Pretend like today is day one. It's the only day we've got. The rest of it is our imagination, what we think of in the past, what we're anticipating in the future. Pretend like right now, this moment is the only thing you've got. It's day one. What is Jesus inviting you to surrender? How is he inviting you to unclench your fists, to receive the reality that he has all power He's not snapping his fingers because he does not will to break anyone. What he's doing is he's giving us space to become like him. He says, I am with you always. And so I invite you to stand. Let's go ahead and close our eyes as we do and pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we a lot of times are on autopilot in our lives. We are not um, awake to you. We go through our day often thoughtlessly, like somebody who's driven a car and doesn't even remember, did I take that left-hand turn? I don't even remember going through that light. Um, That's the way a lot of our lives feel. We ask right now, I ask in this moment that you would help us gather our scattered senses into this warmish room right now. Help us to be present. We ask that you would wake us up. And we ask that you would help us to choose. We can That's your invitation. We would choose to yield 
to you, the crucified one. We want our lives to be characterized by the same love that got you killed. Even if it gets us killed is our prayer. That's a courageous prayer. I don't even, it's a foolish prayer, but it's like the depth of like, that's what we want. We want something worth living for. We want something worth dying for. And so crucified one, you with all the power in the universe, we ask that you would help us to let go of all of our misconceptions about what will save our life, what will save the situation, what will save the world. Help us trust that you have all the power. Help us to proclaim that in the world. And we ask that your life of love, costly love, surrendered, sacrificial love, even for our enemies, would get deep down in us and make us alive. This is our prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.